0: Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I invite you to join me as we explore what it looks like to choose joy in the messy middle while embracing the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to find joy in your every day. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 284 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am really excited to be joined by Lauren Artress in this brand new conversation and in celebration of World Labyrinth Day. Lauren is the canon of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, the founder of Rittitas, and she's a spiritual pioneer and a leading force in popularizing the labyrinth in the United States and around the world. I have been fascinated with labyrinths for so many years, and this last December, I became a trained labyrinth facilitator through Veritas. I'm so excited to have Lauren joining me to talk about her experience with the labyrinth, about how it is a parallel and a metaphor for so many things in our lives, how you could use it as a meditation tool in your life, and just about all the insights we've both had around the labyrinth itself. Before we get to the show, I want to give you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in. It is such a treat to be able to do this show and it really is a passion of mine. It's been around since 2015 and it's turning the corner on its seventh year of being a show, which is so totally amazing to me. It's completely changed my life. And I am grateful for each and every one of you that tune in. Uh, If you want to find out more about Jumpstart Your Joy, the show, or listen to any of the past 283 episodes, you can find more over at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find the episode notes for this one, which is where I'll link back to Lauren and all of her information of Rittitas and where you can find labyrinths. Uh, The episode notes for this will be at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 284. And while you're there, last week there was a really amazing conversation in episode 283 with Erica Corday. And she is a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach. And we talked all about anti-racism work and how to show up as an imperfect ally. If you haven't listened to it, please go back and check it out. So while you're on the website, of course, there's a couple other things that you can do there. One, sign up for the newsletter at jumpstartyourjoy.com. It comes out whenever there's a new episode. And I send out a little joy-filled nugget for you about things to do, things I see, and thoughts from behind the scenes. It's a lot of fun. And you can also check out my brand new book, which came out in February of this year. It's called Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. And of course, it's all about the stuff that we've been talking about this entire year here on the podcast. It's been the theme, Joy in the Messy Middle, because that is, yes, right where we are right now. What I loved about this conversation that you're about to hear with Lauren, you can tell that I'm really excited (laughs) She's so amazing because she has written so much about the labyrinth. I loved finding her book. It was over a decade now that I first read Walking a Spiritual Path after I had first walked a labyrinth at San Damiano in Danville, California. So a labyrinth is a single circuitous route that goes from the outside to a center spot. There's no switchbacks and no surprises. It's not a maze. But what it is, is a really powerful meditation tool. And I've found so many parallels of it in my own life. And I really was delighted to be able to take the training from Lauren this last December and learn more about labyrinths. So without further ado... <laughs> just going to bring Lauren on so we can all enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Lauren Our Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yes. I am so excited to have you on because you have worked with The Labyrinth for years and written many great books, including this latest one, The Path of the Holy Fool. And it's such a treat to have you come on and talk about The Labyrinth and your work and
1: how you found your way to it. Well, I'm happy to do that. It's been quite a journey for sure. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I love that we'll we'll unpack some of the parallels there of the journey of a labyrinth and the journey of our lives. So before we get there, though, would you please uh, tell us what did you love most as a child or in school?
1: What were your earliest sparks of joy? Yes, definitely nature, Paula, definitely nature. I uh, We lived way out in kind of, at that time, rural Ohio meaning you know everything was a post office box and uh, there were no sidewalks and you had your own wells for water Mm -hmm. about 30 miles outside of cleveland and luckily it was just a a beautiful area we lived right on the chagrin river and Mm -hmm. which you know was earlier on indigenous blackfoot tribe was lived there and so we would find flints and grinding stones in the garden and we had a victory garden and uh I remember one specific moment of just pure joy was in the fall digging up potatoes out of the ground. And you know, a pitchfork, a garden fork, not a not a sharp pitchfork, and using this garden fork and just unearthing, putting all your weight on the on the handle down and up comes the earth, and here's this cluster of wonderful, wonderful I guess it would be russet potatoes. Yeah. It was just a, a moment of joy. There were many like that, but nature was definitely and still is a, a place where i can be nurtured
0: That was amazing yeah that took me back i mean we both live in the san francisco bay area now my childhood at least five years of it was in uh, and around uh, minneapolis minnesota and i had a memory of going into the forest and finding i don't know if it was honeysuckle or something but you could like break it off and like kind of take a sip of the nectar from it like mm, Uh that was fun too like but it engaged Uh all the senses kind of like the Uh potatoes probably like there was a lot of sensory interaction there
1: That's right. Yeah. And revelation is like, you know, wow, this is right here for us and embracing us. And, and you know, and it's so important. This is part of what we need to do is help everybody get back to an understanding of how nature nurtures and supports us um, Mm, rather than mistreating it or not understanding it.
0: I love that. Yeah, and kind of the discovery. I can see there's gonna be some really fun parallels here about like the discovery and the the unfolding of things in our lives. Also the metaphor of the labyrinth involved with all that. So your journey is so interesting to me about how you I don't know, reconnected with because I don't think the labyrinth every ever left the human collective intelligence or, you know, mindset in the years that it kind of disappeared from being used. But like could you explain how you found your way to a labyrinth and what that journey was like for you.
1: Sure, sure. Let me first say for our listeners is that, uh, let me describe a labyrinth. Please,
0: yes, that'd be a great place to start. Thank you.
1: That's important. A lot of times people confuse a labyrinth with a maze and not know that they're really diametrically opposite. A maze is a cognitive puzzle. A labyrinth usually is a, a large circle if we're talking about pavement or church labyrinths uh on the ground, uh flat across and it has one path that leads in in a very circuitous way into center. And the labyrinth that I'm thinking of, I am mean, actually can, can show a design if that would be helpful. Yeah,
0: let's see it. <laughs> I can even uh, yeah. grab one of mine.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I just have the just the sharp one. You know, I'm I'm doing a facilitator training this week, so it's I have it right here handy. Yes. But you can see the one path. Uh, moving in now to me it looks like a right-handed path it's a left-handed path right it comes through that way yeah Yeah. and so you can see what i mean by a very circuitous way Mm -hmm. um, and leads to center and and that's what makes it a meditation tool is because you just put one foot in front of the other and trust the path which is such a great metaphor especially right now in these uncertain times yes
0: Yes. And I love that you just showed a hand labyrinth. So maybe we can talk about how to in, incorporate that into our everyday a- after we get into past, you know, how you got, how you found your way to the labyrinth. Because uh, okay. um, I know, <laughs> no yeah, I mean, I've loved the interaction I've had with a, a handheld labyrinth and that surprised me completely. But yeah, yeah. They, how did you find really your way were, to were that very, Chartres very well. yeah. labyrinth in France? And what was that dirty like?
1: It was actually, I mean, the whole thing feels very fortuitous, or it feels guided to me. I happen to be teaching at General Theological Seminary uh, with Alan Jones, who was appointed Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, and so I never even applied for the job, and being Canon Pastor of Grace Cathedral was a plum job in, in the Episcopal Church. And at that time, I was doing psychotherapeutic practice, uh, pastoral counseling, psychotherapeutic, and just, I had hints though that my life was going to change. I, I had that partly because of my, you know, my vision quest to Uluru in Australia, which is in the path of the Holy Fool, that experience. Yeah. And it just kept opening up. And so I had this invitation to, to live in San Francisco and be at Grace Cathedral. And I soon after I arrived there, I received a very large grant from Lawrence S. Rockefeller. And that gave me the funds to be able to help Grace Cathedral develop a center for spirituality. And it was called Quest, Grace Cathedral Center for Spiritual Wholeness. And there were programming paths, four of them, and they all led to the labyrinth. They led me to the labyrinth. Creativity is a spiritual path. That's one of them. The finding and seeking the feminine and the divine rediscovering the mystical traditions and the marriage of eastern and western traditions and so all of those just kind of led me to the labyrinth but as you know not it was not an easy path it, the, the labyrinth really became i knew i was searching for something because we were in the beginning and the middle not certainly not the end of the aids epidemic 1987, we had our first person in the congregation die of some kind of strange illness. You know, early on, that was called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. Some, you know, just like now, we're feeling our way. More research is helping us understand. But at that time, like now, people are were frightened. And my job was to start, you know, all the programs I could for the worried. Well, for the dear parents coming to San Francisco to be with their dying son or daughter, certainly son in the beginning and later daughter. And so it was a really challenging time, and we needed something. We needed something that... Because people couldn't talk about what they were going through. It was too deep. It was too frightening. It was too painful. Mm -hmm. And it certainly parallels to our time right now. Um, And so it kind of... I was ready to leave the cathedral. I didn't... That was not my work, and you know one way to find your work is to know what's not your work. <laughs> yes. you know I'm not a chaplain. I'm not not somebody who's, uh, you know. I mean, we had in '89, along with the earthquake, we had 92 people die in the congregation. Now understand that Grace Cathedral's a big civic cathedral, so if you're in trouble, people would come whether they're part of the congregation or not. But the larger uh, San Francisco area. Ninety-two funerals in one one year for that one illness, and so you know I took a sabbatical and thinking, what's my next step? What's my next step? (laughs) It's a great question. It's a great labyrinth question too. Next step? (laughs) Yep. It really, it really is. And so then I went back to work with Jean Houston, and Jean is author of many books, forty books or so, a psychologist, a philosopher, and she at that time. I worked with her in 85 for a whole year. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of coming home. Okay, I'll, I'll just dip back in and see. And Jean's always generous and said, sure, come on. And then that's when they introduced the labyrinth. Probably not their first time. I'm not sure. I need to ask Jean that. But, but they just taped a big old 11 Circuit medieval labyrinth, which is the other name for the shark labyrinth, on the floor. And that was my first introduction and it was a it was a terrifying experience it was a great experience yeah. all of that and i think it was an anxious experience for me because in all fairness to myself i think there was definitely a part of me that knew i was stepping into a huge change in my life right huge and I had a dream that night. Even um, after the walking, it and I walked it about three times later in the evening, maybe one o'clock, one a.m. something, and went back to my cabin and and had this amazing dream, which was really helpful. that signaled change, signaled change, mm. and, and then I realized, well. I, you know, it sent me over the Chart. We did research there, and a lot of times people think that the Chart Labyrinth has been open to the public, and it's, if they walk over, go over right then now, they'll find it open. No, it's been closed probably since the French Revolution, 1792-93. Right. And I big there there are occasions. BBC uh, recorded a, a special on the cathedral, and they didn't have chairs on it then. But ordinarily and usually, they have chairs on it in tourist season. Now they're opening it on Fridays. And so it's been a long 20, 25-year relationship of introducing the labyrinth through Grace Cathedral first. In 1997, we had the rector, the chanwan, as they say in French, the rector or the dean of the cathedral, come to Grace Cathedral. And it's his first time to the United States. And show him the work we're doing with the labyrinth. You know, live music in the evenings on Wednesday, the third Wednesday, and silence on Sundays, the first Sunday of the month. And... So they became, and they're beginning certainly to open their labyrinths. But again, it just felt like I was going down a highway with every light was just turning green. Every light was just... So I came back to Grace Cathedral. We were down our hands and knees. Oh, by the way, just by synchronicity. Six people from the congregation of Grace Cathedral happened to be in France at the same time. So <laughs> As I said,
0: when you were walking the church's labyrinth? <laughs>
1: well, then, and I said, come on, and this was, this was August 5th, 1991, not that I remember the date or anything. And the six of us went in. We knew it was under chairs. Yeah, We knew we didn't have per- permission, but... They didn't respond to correspondence because there wasn't a uh, Francois Legault, the, sh- the dean, was not in his uh, office yet. He wasn't in that place, position. And uh, so we moved the chairs, yeah. 276 uh, of them, and uh, walked the labyrinth. Mm. And so that was really a, a signal for me. It was an amazing experience. And then that was like, yeah, we need, we need to have the labyrinth in Grace Cathedral. So it just, just everything just kept opening up. Cause why? Because the labyrinth wants to come back into our awareness. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love that you spoke of some of the liminal space that it seemed was popping up for you, even in the times right before you were walking the labyrinth or after you'd first walked it, because Mm it's super interesting. I, I actually had a very similar experience. I think I first found one, I was on a retreat at San Damiano and, they have a an outdoor labyrinth there for people at Stanfield, California. And I walked it, I think, two or three times the first evening. And it was at twilight. And then also had this very, like, I got to get back down there. <laughs> I don't know what I just experienced, but I got to do that again. It's there, like, kind of all by myself in the dark of night. I'm out there walking a labyrinth and going, what is this? And then proceeded to have other experiences there near the labyrinth there, That very much was directing me in ways that I, I mean, I can't even really verbalize all of it because it's in a different zone probably for me, but so interesting what happens. Would you talk a little bit, because I know some of what you, you talk about in The Path of the Holy Fool is about that divine imagination. I feel like that's what's coming into play here maybe. Like what happens when we say yes to those things that we allow ourselves to imagine or believe and how can that help with our, our path?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And that is what's happening, I, I think. I think that the labyrinth is coming forth to help people, not only during these really chaotic times, to offer a sure path. Right. Something you can trust. Something you can do that's meditative, that brings you into your presence and often into, you could say, capital P Presence that there's a sense of guidance that comes from walking the labyrinth. Now, we're talking about archetypal labyrinths, at least in my mind I am. There's a lot of contemporary labyrinths that are coming in, which is wonderful. But the one that I know and is my heart song is the labyrinth from Shark Cathedral. Yeah. yeah. As I mentioned already, the 11th Circuit medieval labyrinth. But it does, it It provides guidance. It's so important to realize that walking for many of us, is a huge help to quiet the mind. Yes. And, you know, I, I I always describe myself as a failed meditator. I mean, I couldn't, I actually could do sitting meditation as long as my stress level didn't go up. Oh, great, that's fine, yeah. Well, yes. then in the middle of the AIDS AIDS epidemic, the beginning when the fear was rampant and everything was going on, and I was responsible for putting in some programs and, and doing a lot of hospital and chaplaincy work, Wow. You know, it just it just was the way I needed to go. Mm-hmm. And so walking, uh, meditation really because you're using your body, you know, just charging all that energy that you're trying to sit on, literally, at least for me when my stress is high. And so it does allow us to go into what that in between world. It lo- allows us to move beyond thought and have our thoughts support our Process of guidance, of opening, of quieting, in in the path of the holy fool. You know, I'm I'm using the Grail legend as a as a metaphor for the whole thing, and the metaphor in that legend is the Grail castle. It's the invisible visible world coming together, and of course, Parsifal happens upon the Grail castle and appears out of nowhere, (laughs) and that's that feeling in the labyrinth. It's like whoa, deep insights thoughts that clarify mm-hmm. and often people hear guidance have you ever had that experience yes
0: usually just a word or two but there's mm-hmm. or a sense of almost the universe kind of chuckling at me like oh I see what you think Like, yeah let's try and rework that yeah I, I definitely have heard things and yeah. it's amazing and until you had actually said that i've attended for the audience um, your facilitator training which is outstanding and amazing and until you'd said that i just thought eh, that was just no that was just me imagining but to hear that other people have that experience was very interesting to me
1: yeah well there's actually a name for it auditory it's in the christian tradition it's called audition you know, an actor goes for an audition, you know, but this, and it's long lost because people are frightened of these kind of things. Um, maybe less so now as we search more and as we try to deepen our awareness of living with the mystery of of being an earthling on planet earth, Uh, I mean, is really beginning to touch people's lives. But a lot of people hear guidance and it often is just one word Mm -hmm. or it might be a, a sentence, or it might be a stanza stanza from a hymn, wow, or a, a quote from a psalm or something. So it's fascinating. But yes, people can find guidance. But why? Because they can finally quiet their minds enough to listen deeply. Yeah.
0: Yes. And I think it's so true. I mean, so I, I love a good centering prayer meditation, because it's, you are acknowledging, and I can link up to one if people are curious what that is. But you are acknowledging your thoughts and actively watching kind of yourself push them aside or at least that's how I do it. But even that can be too, like when, especially now, uh, we're in the middle of the pandemic here you know, in 2021 and lots of times that's not even a thing for me where it's seriously, even if I just go on a walk, not on a labyrinth, I find myself being able to kind of let go of some of the noise. And so I think it's really interesting And I'm grateful that you've brought up that maybe a sitting meditation isn't something that works for everybody and and that this is another way to experience that ability to kind of go into the internal landscape in a way that maybe you couldn't if you're, I don't know, it's too much to just try and
1: sit and still your mind. Yeah, yeah. And not not that uh, I'm against sitting meditation by any means. It's just something... I couldn't do when my stress level was up, but also a lot of Westerners were having trouble. We don't even know what a quiet mind is anymore. This is true. Um, yeah. And and so to really be able to um, bring that back into our lives um, through walking. And, of course, the Buddhists have uh, walking meditation. They walk usually in a straight line and do a discipline of one step with one breath. Whereas the labyrinths, I think the most important thing is to find your natural pace. Yes, and move into your own flow, which is very refreshing as well.
0: Yeah, and even just the permission and invitation to find your own cadence—like <laughs> there's so many things about living in our society and our world right now. We get a lot of messaging of all the shoulds: of we, it should look like this, it should feel like this—and to kind of find your way back into your physical somatic center is so helpful.
1: Yeah, and we need to know our cores. I mean, that's where we get at the core of our beings. That's where we. And get our own sense of who we are and be able to follow that with integrity yeah. and that's a, a really big issue right now one point i want to make i'm glad you brought up centering prayer because the thing one of the things i love about the labyrinth is any meditation method you've used like in a centering prayer it, you use a repeated phrase you use called a sacred phrase and that you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until your mind quiets slowly and then you sort of let go of the phrase. Mm-hmm. Well, that fits in the labyrinth beautifully. You can do that in, in the inner path that we call the three R's or the releasing path as you're moving in. And then in the center, just to let go of it. And and then, you know, as the teaching goes, then you're usually in a, in a profound sense of silence. Mm-hmm. But a repeated phrase or breath methods, all of those ways you can apply in the labyrinth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And for sure, when I'm doing a physical one, I, a physical walk of a labyrinth, that is, I, I find it so helpful to kind of mark the beginning, meaning like make it myself so present and aware that, okay, I'm about to enter into this, this space. And if I have a word or something that I want to take with me, I, I choose it then or acknowledge it then. And then, as you're saying, sometimes just let it go. Like I repeat it as I'm walking. Do you want to talk a little bit about... What are some of the things that people do in the center of a labyrinth if they're out on a walk? What are some of the things that happen there? I've been on ones where you can literally
1: sit in the middle or standing or do you just, I've
0: also seen someone take off and run straight out.
1: So. That's right. Uh, that's actually uh, comes from the uh, it's folk folklore, but it's an active uh, understanding up in the Scandinavian countries. Uh, where you have a classical labyrinth, a uh, different style, the Seventh Circuit classical. And uh, the fishermen, before they go out in the day for their catch, they walk the labyrinth and then run out of the center of the labyrinth, run, hop on their boats and go. And with the understanding that they're kind of leaving all the bad luck or whatever in the labyrinth, leaving it behind. Isn't being that clever. interesting?
0: I had a, a participant in one of my walks do that. And I didn't realize that it was a thing. And I don't think she had any knowledge. That opens up huge doors for me. i like, what? You know, is that like a past life? Like, What just happened? That's amazing. Oh, wow. So then they could go out and, and leave either bad luck or whatever they were carrying with them into their day there. And then go on with the yeah. task at hand. Interesting.
1: Yeah, that's the understanding. And that, as I understand it, from some friends that live in the UK and do a lot of research on labyrinths, that that's still very actively done in the Scandinavian countries. But as far as the center, I mean, you're walking to center in a very prescribed path. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people go, oh, you know, I don't know about that. But it's such a complicated, uh, circuitous path that creates the feeling of being lost You know, and as many world traditions and scriptures say, you have to lose your way to find your way. And I think the labyrinth really captures that. But we talk about the three R's, as you know, releasing, receiving, returning. And the receiving part happens in the center. But, you know, you can receive anywhere in the labyrinth. You can release anywhere in the labyrinth. Those are just kinds of instructions to help people understand. Just have a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of the labyrinth before first time walkers go in. Because otherwise, you, some people are walking in and what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, and so the three R's releasing, receiving, returning, as, as you know, a lot of names returning and recollection and resolve and reclaim and re- reflect yeah. and rebirth.
0: Yeah, reentry is
1: another one. Reentry. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and it is really powerful. I think it's also really lovely along the lines of you saying in training and and in your books that allowing people to experience their experience of it and and labyrinth is it allows people to just experience whatever it is that they experience and that we don't have to judge these things because I think that's another thing that comes up and maybe even more so now in media than ever before that like somehow even our thoughts are wrong or we can't trust ourselves and Learning to experience things for ourselves is really a rich way of tapping back into that self.
1: And um, to experience your experience is another way, I think, of describing mindfulness. You know, that you're in the present moment and to experience your experience. And see, it's easy. We're taught not to experience our experience, which is exactly what you're saying. Don't trust yourself. Uh, You look out. You're thinking wrong. You know, what's wrong with you and all the judgments that can come in. Um, because we're supposed to be something different than we are, of course, whether it's advertising telling us that we're not using the right toothpaste or we're driving the wrong car. So we don't look really, you know, really snazzy and jazzy and all sorts of things. Yeah. Socially acceptable, basically. So really being able to trust what comes in and, you know, just being able to listen to it and see we're taught just like you're saying, oh, I just thought that was my, you know, I get a one word guidance. Oh, I just stop oh, the heck with that. That's yeah. not real. <laughs> yeah is it real yeah and it is real and to trust it and that doesn't mean you act on it but it's it it might but but you evaluate it you reflect on it you think about it you know maybe journal about it um but usually if there's a nudge something nudging us on the path it appears again and again until we finally pay attention to it
0: yes And I kind of had a a very self-reflective moment there when you were talking about advertising because on my own path, I started kind of with religious studies and seminary and then found my way to advertising. (laughs) I was a project manager in advertising for many years before I, I, you know, and then have since come back out of, of that place. And it is true. I mean, that was my existential question of what am I doing? And maybe it came out of the labyrinth. Who knows? But what am I doing all week that I'm telling people that they shouldn't trust themselves in making purchasing decisions or that they need something else in their life? And then on the weekends, I'm leading retreats where I'm trying to deprogram people from that very same messaging that I'm, it was very, yeah, existential. So I think the labyrinth also represents that for so many of us is this a way to go inward to figure out what's important and then figure out, as you're saying, how can I bring either that word or something I've learned or what I desire to have more of into my life?
1: Yes. I, I think one of the powerful things is that the insights we get in the labyrinth uh, are grounded in the body. Mm. Yes. So so it's not necessarily something you have to remember. Oh yeah. What was that? I mean, that might be true and that's why sometimes it's helpful to journal Uh, your labyrinth experiences but but a a deep insight that comes through comes through the body as well and it's yours it's yours Mm -hmm. yeah and and then it helps move you along toward the direction that we need to go
0: Uh, I'm kind of having an existential moment right here just thinking about all of those times and how the labyrinth was involved uh-huh. Like, you cannot well, really question that. Uh, it's just coming to me in a new way. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, well, great. But it's a great uh, thing to, you know, I like your example about here. You're working in advertising all week and just, you know, oh, you need this. Oh, you need this. You know, you really need this to be a full person, you know. And then in your retreats, you're you know, you're saying, you know, trust yourself. It's going to emerge from within. That's great. Well, talk about polarities. Yeah, it was, it's truly weird. Yeah, buy this
0: car wax. No, don't. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was very interesting and then led to its own, its own place of self-discovery with some other steps along the way, of course. But, but yeah, now I'm really honored that I get to do some of the work. And it's funny because once I've said yes to the labyrinth and, and the facilitator training, I've led one online. And then I started asking questions. And the answers when I ask, hey, would you like someone to help you do this? Or have you thought about, in one case, having a labyrinth at a summer camp? The answer is, oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> like and, right. and it's like, okay, so now I'm going to keep taking these steps.
1: And yeah, and that's all you need to do. Keep putting one foot in front of yourself and one foot in front of each other and follow the energy. Yeah. You know, follow the excitement, follow the energy, follow. Because the, the labyrinth wants to come in. I mean, that's what I meant by I felt I was guided to Grace Cathedral. I was guided through Grace Cathedral. I was guided to the labyrinth. And it wants to come in. I never imagined when we first started this work that we would have two labyrinths at Grace Cathedral, one indoors, one out. Right now, the indoor one is closed because of COVID, but the outdoor one is not. And there's many, we we have about on our Labyrinth Locator, we should probably mention that. that oh, there yes. is There is Labyrinth Locator. Just Google Labyrinth Locator. Or I would hope to go have you go to the Veritas website mm-hmm. and, and go to Labyrinth Locator through that because there's so much on that website about labyrinths. But there's about 6,000 labyrinths listed on that. And we're in 88 countries now. There's eight, 88 countries have labyrinths. Right.
0: Yeah. So I will link up to the the World Labyrinth Locator. And that would be something that if somebody's listening, they wanted, they're like, hey, I got to try this out. I thought labyrinths were a maze. And, and no, <laughs> now I really want to go walk one. Go check that out and maybe look ahead to just make sure that they're still open because, of course, there's social distancing concerns. But yeah, I think the best way to just try it is to to go walk one without any expectations of what it might mean and just feel it for yourself. (laughs) It's funny that I said feel it, but like experience it.
1: Yeah, experience it. And that's the hard part, not to have any expectations. That's why on the Vertitas website, there's a lot of information, including basic instructions that doesn't take a lot. You just follow the path. And a lot of outdoor labyrinths, you know, they're not crowded with people. Right. So you you could turn up there and check it out. And in light of social distancing, it's really physical distancing in light of allowing enough space so we're not passing something contagious.
0: Well, and I really do love what you just said about like follow the energy. I feel like that's such a, a thing that we've been taught over our programming as humans to like ignore, but. Just in life in general, even not if it's specific to the labyrinth of following the energy and seeing where it leads you and like what's exciting you and what's bringing you joy. This is such a delight to talk about all this with you.
1: <laughs> well, and I think that is, is the essence of true joy uh, is that you are you're on a path and you're following it and you're listening to nudges, listening deeply. And then you realize that things start responding. I cannot tell you how many people wrote to me in the beginning when Walking the Sacred Path came out that the book literally fell out, uh, either hit them on the head or fell at their feet. And those were the days when people didn't know what a labyrinth was necessarily. Now a fair amount do, but it's a big world. It's a very big world for yeah. sure.
0: Isn't that funny? Yeah, I mean, I think I read that book two or three times after I bought it because I just could not stop. One of the things that I've been asking guests about in season six, it's uh, my theme is finding joy in the messy middle, which has some interesting things there going on
1: with labyrinths. How have you found joy in the in the messy middle? Well, I think, I mean, I think we are in the messy middle, so to speak, not necessarily of the labyrinth, but of life right now and COVID and all the racial tensions and all that's going on um, politically, good heavens. So uh, go toward what feeds you, go toward what nourishes you. I think that's a really important peace go toward and and sometimes because we're taught to ignore our experience and figure out what we're supposed to buy instead of experience to go toward what nurtures you it may be nature really important and if you're really distressed find a place a grassy place somewhere and lay your belly on the ground just lay down on the ground and breathe it in really important but great music good books Anything that feeds you and nurtures you is really important right now, more so than, you know, any other time, probably, partly because of the distressing news. You know, who would have thunk it? I mean, that kind of feeling like, look where the United States is. Oh, my God. Yeah. Threats in the house and people are scared that they're going to kill each other. I mean, my God, or be killed more likely. You know, it's really like way off the charts. Yeah. And so to keep finding your core and keep uh, feeding it. And if you're not sure, I think the people that I feel uh, the most concerned about, Paula, are the people who are scared to be alone. Yeah. And, you know, with this enforced, people have been using the word lockdown. To me, that means you have an ankle bracelet on. You're not allowed to go out of the house. But yeah, it's... sheltering in place, that, I think it's been toughest on them. Disconnected from their friends, The really extroverted person, people who are out there and are nourished by meeting people and being with people. So there's a lot of wonderful, more extroverted meditation methods, uh, Soul collage, for instance, where you're yeah. using collage. You're using working with images. That's one. A Zen coming in, learning to draw just any design, and repeat it, and repeat it. Uh, uh, also, adult coloring books, anything that would that's easy and accessible. If you're frightened of being alone and yeah. it's uncomfortable to be alone. Those methods may be very helpful.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm kind of an outgoing introvert. And so (laughs) I had to miss my time with people. But it's also been such an interesting experience probably for a lot of empaths and people who are highly intuitive. There's also a layer of this that, yeah, like there's a little too much to feel every day (laughs) if you're, you know, really intuitive. And yeah, I really feel for people who are highly extroverted that this is just a lot to try and be in a space that's not so comfortable, yeah,
1: yeah, it it, it certainly is. It is, and I think it's important too to mention that the labyrinth really balances people. It's not always deep and insightful. It's peace giving. You get a sense of because you know you're turning in the short labyrinth. You're turning left. You're turning right. You're turning left. 28 times going in the center, 28 times coming back out the same path. Mm-hmm. And it has this kind of balancing. I'm sure it does with the brain, just yeah. just left, right. It's almost like being in a cradle,
0: you mm-hmm. know, Yeah.
1: rocked in a cradle, you know. That's so nice. We're both
0: kind of both waving back and forth, too, it's, as you say that. like, yes, wouldn't that be nice yeah. to be rocked yeah. asleep? <laughs> and so before we get to the the final questions, I think we should also talk a little bit about, I mean, and I'll hold up my own. Hand labyrinth, um, uh-huh, who is uh-huh. a little bit sideways there, or she is, who yeah. knows. But I recently experienced these for the first time with your training, and I know that Veritas is offering a free, moderated, kind of led hand labyrinth walk each Friday, at least for right now. And would you share a little bit about that? And, and how is it different? How is it the same? Because I know some people may not be able to find in winter or whatever, a labyrinth near them to physically walk with their feet. What's the history behind a hand labyrinth?
1: Early on, when I first started the work at at Grace Cathedral, that would be 91, we opened the canvas on the New Year's Eve 24-hour event, Singing for Your Life, and we had that with Bobby McFerrin, those days, 10 years (laughs) we did this. And and it was partly because Bobby was there, but also we announced the labyrinth opening, and people were just so hungry for it. And then later, we began to open it at, Grace Cathedral, as I mentioned, the first Sunday in silence, the third Wednesday evening and with music. And then people who were visually challenged started turning up
0: mm.
1: and wanting to walk the labyrinth, which I kind of naively then, that's fine with me, and offered my elbow and led them through the labyrinth. But it was a total disorientation. It really was not helpful for me to do that. So I began to experiment with smaller, just handheld labyrinths. And what I used to do is I would get, you know, a molding, uh, a half-inch molding, and I think I had a friend put these together on a board, so 18 by 18 inches, and use And Yeah. Yeah, clay an art product. Just It's like cake mix. You just add water, you know, (laughs) and I'd spread it in there, and then I'd teach myself how to draw it. Not that I could draw a chart labyrinth even now, but in the clay stake it out with toothpicks, (laughs) <laughs> you know, the directions, and, and draw this in. And it fits, 18 inches, fits the width of a finger. They're grooved, it's grooved, mm-hmm. and just like, just like this one is. And so then someone actually suggested, we call them finger meditation tools at that point. And we always, as you know, with facilitators who we train, always encourage people to have them, at least one available, in some form during an event. It would be an in-person event. But then with COVID, one of our wonderful board members, uh, Stephanie Reeves, suggested that we just do an online handheld labyrinth meditation every week. And we've been doing it since COVID. I'm, I think we'll probably continue because the beauty of it is, is online, people can join from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So on our website, we alternate. One's at, one time it's at 4 o'clock, the other time it's at 1, 12 p.m., 12 noon partly because of the U.K. and Europe joining us and then on the other earlier time, the Pacific Rim joining us. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of doing every other week that way. But it's a free event. You just sign up on the Veritas website. And what we're finding is it's really very meaningful. It is. Not only in light of community being online together, but it does. It's certainly a way of teaching people to find the Grail Castle, to be in that liminal realm, uh, but there's an art to that too, you know. There's an art to dismissing your your everyday thoughts. I have to get cat food for my cat, and I have to do this and that, and you know those kind of thoughts into allowing your yourself to really uh, connect with your breath. And we encourage any any way like that. Someone who's familiar with the breath meditation might do that in order to do the handheld labyrinth walk. Yeah. And we play music, as you know. We play music, and and then there's a time for sharing. Usually there's a theme, the facilitator introduces a theme, and uh, it's actually worked out very, very well and, and in, a, in a lovely way. And see, for me, that's kind of a new discovery because I always had a labyrinth to walk. So I didn't use uh, a handheld labyrinths much at all.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 Well, and I have to say, I hadn't used one until facilitator training, and then I actually found that I really love the classical for the handheld. And, and this is more of a, this is a, I think a variation actually on the on yeah, the chart.
1: Uh, it is. It's a modified chart. Uh-huh. Uh, but I really love the,
0: and I wish I had a classical just to show folks, but I can link up to one in the show notes. But that to me was easier for me to do as a, a hand handheld meditation, which was surprising to me, but I love it. And I was totally kind of uh, surprised and delighted to see that it was something that was so meaningful when I couldn't physically walk a space. So would you share where can people find the signups if they want to do either the handheld walks each Friday or want to find out more about you? Where could they get in touch?
1: Sure. So it's the website for Veritas. It's obviously www. And then it's spelled this way. V-E-R-I-D-I-T-A-S dot org. Thank you. So that, that has lots of labyrinth information on it. It's also our events. We are planning, hopefully, and I think it will happen to go be back in Chart in September. So because we've gone to these, these uh, pilgrimages, we always have groups come over and join us in Shark Cathedral. Yeah. And so we hope to be able to begin that again. And so all that kind of information is there. And we are doing a lot of workshops online too. Right. We just did one about uh, the seasons of the pandemic. And, uh, so, and I also have my own private online website, just Laurenartris.com. And, and there's more information there. It's connected the Veritas. Yep. but also information about the holy fool and things like that mm,
0: yes and i'll link up to all that and the holy fool book yeah such such good stuff and i got goosebumps when you said you're going back in september oh that would be so amazing i i'm ready to go
1: see other things besides this lovely yeah. home of mine yeah a lot, a lot of people are i mean to yeah. think about oh wow i'd love to travel or i'd love to go see my family or i'd love all all of that yeah yeah. and and it, there will be a time when that's coming back in but meanwhile handheld labyrinths are one way through when you can go outside i would say look up a, a labyrinth on the labyrinth locator because yeah. there's not a ton of people walking them or if one person's walking them you can wait wait until that person's done to so really to reach out and explore and a lot of people say you know Paula, oh there's none in our area uh we that had might not be true <laughs> that's right uh, check it out I, I had a friend who they moved up to uh, Bend, oregon and they said oh there wouldn't be one up there and i knew there was one in ben i said check it out and they found a very interesting one that it actually supports social distancing or physical distancing so yeah uh, so yeah check it out because people are often very frequently surprised
0: well and they're often in places that feel like maybe they're a little trip somewhere and like they're in beautiful places. So to be able to experience that for yourself when maybe right now you're not having experiences
1: besides your neighborhood, yeah, <laughs> like
0: I think right. that's a really nice thing. Or yeah. your
1: grocery store. right? Target, <laughs> you know. wherever. And that, that's one of the things that's really interesting too, is that people are building them, but um, uh, each labyrinth is different. Mm-hmm. Each labyrinth is, you know, because of the setting, it's unique. And then the vegetation or the stones or however they do that, they're very unique in their own way, even if it's the same design. So So true.
0: Even like the way that shade or sun falls on them, I find that to be super interesting, like, or the view that you get from some of them is so different. Yes. And that just kind of takes you to a different place each time you're able to walk them. So, yes.
1: There's also a couple books out uh, from people. Twyla Alexander has a book out called, let's see, I think it's 50 Labyrinths and uh, 51 Stories. Her task that she assigned herself was to go to each state and interview women who had made a labyrinth. And so she's been to all 50 states and then she's added her story. And so there's some, there's books out there that might be fun for people to explore as well if they're in their armchair sitting there waiting for the winner to pass or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is wonderful. I will find those and link up to them as well in the show notes. So the thing that I I ask everyone before we close out is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives?
1: Yeah. It's a lovely question. And I love your phrase, jumpstart. Great metaphor, right? Yeah. Thank (laughs) you. Like you jumpstart a car or something. Yeah, I, I, I think that the main one, go toward what feeds you. I think that's one thing. Reach out, even if you can't be physically with somebody, reach out and call someone, especially if you're feeling lonely or, you know, just kind of your energy's really low. I'd certainly say find a labyrinth if you can and when you can. or And join the online. I mean, that's free. It's a free event. There's hundreds of people on it. It's fabulous and it's guided it's it's led and that's another option but but also to see joy as a byproduct. it's not a Mm -hmm. it's not something you can don't necessarily have to go directly toward i mean our pets are animals that's one joyous thing about this this pandemic is that our adoption agencies and all the spca they're empty they don't have any animals they're low on animals. Isn't that great? Maybe. That all these animals have found a home. And maybe that's another way to jumpstart joy is, is find something you love. Or and if you don't have that with you, maybe consider a pet. Yeah, It's a great time to have break in a pet at home for sure.
0: It is. And
1: I know ours is immensely spoiled because
0: now he will never want us
1: to leave the house. <laughs> oh, goodness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, that's another negotiation.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we'll get there. I'll be joyful to get there when we're all talking about that. Right. Uh-huh. Oh, Lauren, this has been such such a true treat and a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very
1: welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: You Take care. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. It was an absolute honor to have you join me and to be here for... World Labyrinth Week. I don't know if it's actually a week, but (laughs) we'll say it is. And I just really want to thank you for bringing the labyrinth to the world in a new way. This is a really powerful tool and I'm grateful for it having a presence in my own life. If you want to find out more about this episode, about Lauren, about any of her books, about where to find a labyrinth, you can find links to all of that in the show notes, which are at the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 284. And be sure and pick up one of her books. (laughs) I love them all. There's not a favorite. And go find a labyrinth. You can find ones that are socially distanced right now. I hope you love it, especially if you are the kind of person that doesn't really like to do a sitting meditation. Mm, This is a good tool for you. So, and send me an email if you go walk a labyrinth for the first time. I would love to hear it. (laughs) I'd love to hear your stories. You can reach me at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com. So next week on the show, I hope you'll come on back because I'm going to be doing a brand new solo cast all about how to mindfully follow your unique path. Of course, there's a tie in here with labyrinths and paths and messy middles. And I'm going to bring it all together in a brand new way for us. So, I really hope you'll come back when I'm talking about that. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.